Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Hey, what up? Welcome to Earful of Dirt. I'm Aaron Castro, your host. Uh, you can find me at the Strobro. I'm joined. Um... Well, we've all been kind of disparate with our regularity, but I'm joined by uh, Liam Poach. At, you can find him at Poacher Rugby and Craig Rodelli at MM Fly Half, um, not MMQB. This That's is right. Saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we are a little late. I think. Um, I, wait, Craig, wait, you, drive, you, we, you, we, drive, you drive to work now, right? You, you don't I mean, the- I work in my home office, so no. But uh, uh-huh. if I ever go into the actual office, I still take the train. Yeah, no, oh, he, so you do. He, he so goes you do hop onto a tube. You know, he, he just does a lap around the block in his car and stuff like that just to get yeah. his head straight. You yeah. Drive to Starbucks and then come back home and get into this lovely home office we've constructed here in, uh, in my house in Long Island. I mean, I, I have a home office, as you can see here, um, but I don't keep. Does your home office, is, do you, is that where you keep your booze? I have a scotch and a decanter over there, but the rest of the booze are in another part of the house. Huh. Well, you know, I was wondering if you were like sort of really old school and crusted as the second oldest member of this agency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have the full Don Draper, you know, like wet water <laughs> in the office, but uh, you know, every once in a while I pour myself a scotch if it's been a long work day, which today was. Uh, I just got off work call, so sorry. Uh, I think I, I caused our few minutes delay here, but uh, we're ready to rock. Did you? Yeah, did no. you? Did you? Did you make a deal? Did you make some dollars? I'm trying, but uh, this is this was a call with a Korean counterparty, and uh, I would say it was a tense call at best. So we'll, we'll see how it works out. But that's why I, I love I love calls that are crazy time zones away. I think I had a call. Yeah, it was last week, South Africa. It was it was lovely. I was like, you know, my I had to be on the call at eight a.m. Um, for it to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We um, started at seven thirty. Eastern, which is I think eight thirty AM tomorrow morning in Korea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that, that's obviously interesting. Um, needless to say. Um, maybe I should like share this link. You guys are supposed to share this link to other groups. It's not just supposed to be me, you know. Um but uh yeah, uh so it's it's Wednesday. I feel like has it has it been a week? Was I here last week? I it's my my life is now so in depth involved in rugby that I don't really um, know what day it is. I just know what day certain like events, events. are. Yeah. Like you know, it's like oh, there's there's two games tomorrow. Okay, you know that's a game day. Uh, there's the game the next day. Okay, that's a game day. Oh, there's no games tomorrow. That means it. I think it's Monday. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but um. Yeah, so how was how's your week been got so far, guys? Been good. Um, you know, I don't I don't have a decanter of scotch right now uh, in my apartment. I do have a half bottle of Don Julio in the freezer, uh, along with the Keith, along with the Keep soda. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, I was telling Aaron off the air. I was able to go to um, this place called the Potholes Day, which is a series of waterfalls out here in Tahoe. So 
I'm at that point of sunburn where I'm not quite feeling the pain yet, but I just know that tonight trying to sleep is going to be absolutely miserable. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I got to look forward to today. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I was, uh, I went, um, what was it? I went swimming for the first time. I, according to my watch, thank God I have one of those. I have actually swam one other time um, this year, um, but I don't think I have consistently swam since March, like the first week, no, second week of March 2020. So for all those that don't know, I mean, you probably do know because I blather on about this on the show all the time. I am a semi-competitive, well, not real, not competitive, but definitely semi-serious amateur. Nonchalant. Triathlete. You're a nonchalant I wouldn't say I'm fast. I'm just saying I take it serious um, in, in triathlon. It's interesting the intersection that is sports, how many like high-performance athletes, um, specifically rugby players, become triathletes. And I think it's just because everyone um, – Although that they they miss the camaraderie and all that stuff, they, they don't miss the contact and that their bones breaking, so they become triathletes because it allows them to be intense about something. Um, so that's that's where I'm at um, with that. Uh, but yeah, got in the pool and then my partner, as you can as you can see, right there as the swim cap line, and that was only thirty minutes, man. That was thirty minutes of work. Oh, I can't now, wait. the swim cap necessary when you're not having the hair as they say up there <laughs> i mean I, I personally don't care to put sunblock on the top of my head so that's one reason why um i don't know why because right now my scalp is like you know like i have i have like a two around i have a two around the sides and i have, so I have a normal scissor cup cut on top but around where i have the two shaved is Two right two now. things two things Scott um well yeah it's definitely not for props I can tell you that um but hookers are the most in shape front rows and we do things that back rows do so yeah um I would say that I'm I'm still a pretty big dude like I like to throw my weights around um how tall stuff. are you Aaron I'm five nine man all right so so like I haven't I mean you know. When I'm really in shape, I'm only I'm 185 pounds, 190 pounds. Right now, I'm carrying a little extra kegs. Um, I'm definitely uh, more in um, prop shape right now um, than I would be uh, normally. Yeah. I, I um, actually um, the two guys, the two the two of us, the two of us that played hooker at, on Fort Bliss were both under 190 pounds. So at the time, so I mean, although the two props we had, they were these massive um one of them no one of them was tongan and one of them was small there was a different like, there was a difference but two massive island boys like where i'm just going like this and i i didn't really have to hold myself up it was kind of nice and i just hooked the ball back and and we're good to go um rather yeah. than now do triathlons uh no no uh neither, neither of them do um I do know quite a few American rugby players that uh, just most of them backs though. So mm, yeah, yeah. Not back life. Um, actually, and um, interestingly, Noodle Bags, um, the owner of Noodle Bags was a rugby player. 
he sponsors a um, beach rugby tournament in noodle bags, obviously. Um, and he, back when the Vegas sevens was a thing, um, the last year of the LVI, they had a noodle bags division. He is also a triathlete. Um, so, and if anyone who's been paying attention, noodle bags has been choosing their own first 15 every week. Um, and they have some interesting things to say. I find them usually pretty funny, but they send the player, their player of the week, which often aligns with the league player of the week. To, if you look at it, um, a, a noodle bag that says player of the week on it. Kind of cool thing. Um, yeah, uh, I guess I'm just trying to be like Shane Williams, um, former Welsh winger and scrum half who is a very fast triathlete. Like he is, he is very fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's enough, enough about that. Uh, I think to get into player transactions early, um, San Diego announced the signing of two players uh, this week. Actually, well, today, timely. Um, Daniel Pryor, uh, I think he's also Maori All Black, um, brother of New York number eight and back row Kara Pryor. Um, yep. and so you got both Pryors in the league, so that's fun. Um, and then you have uh, another Maori All Black uh, who is signed in Tom Franklin. So that's uh, pretty cool. It's it's kind of interesting in some sense. Uh, obviously, with most of these signings, mostly because of the visa process, they were signed probably two or three months ago, um, not like signed yesterday. Uh, but uh, if you look at the 40-man roster for Canada, because we already talked about the uh, 41-man roster for the U.S., Michael Smith – um, was named to the 40-man extended roster for uh, for Canada. So that's both starting flankers for San Diego have been called into their international squads. Interest, but just to clarify, there will be no camp for this. Players will be released in stride. So as soon as their game is over, if they're playing on the Saturday, the 26th, they should be good to go. And I think the Sunday games... Um, either the players will not be playing that day or the games will actually get moved. I think the both unions are trying to work with Major League Rugby to get those games moved to either Saturday or Friday. So um, would be it would be nice to get some Friday night footy back uh, on, and that leaves Sunday for really um, Saturday night to get on a plane to get to the East Coast, and then Sunday you're, you're sort of red-eye over to England um, with everyone arriving on the 28th. Um, Six days later, beat England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on, on July. We, got, we have to go 2-0 and on 4th of July, man. <laughs> uh, you know, so. Um, but, uh, you know, let's get into some footy. And then I have it in the script so we won't miss them. All the questions that people asked on Twitter um, will get answered uh tonight um so that will be cool um toronto at new england uh 12 to 14 liam Woo. all right so this past weekend uh so new england extended its undefeated record at union point to three and zero after a victory over the toronto arrows 
Uh, they were able to move into the middle of the pack of the MLR East. Now, is this exactly a gateway into the playoff picture? Uh, after, uh, you know, c considering the performances of Atlanta and uh, and Rugby United in New York in the last few few weeks, I'm not exactly highly confident that the number two seed is is within reach. However, I'm definitely not saying that a successful winning season isn't 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 out of reach of the New England Free Jacks either. Uh, nor is it for the Toronto Arrows, I would say, because I think uh, both these clubs uh, showed a lot of the virtue that they possessed all season in this match. Uh, in, in particular, New England definitely displayed a lot of the, the defense that has made them a pretty... Would you, would you guys agree that New England's probably the worst team that you don't want to face in the MLR? I mean, do, do, do you know what I'm saying by that? Yeah, 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 yeah like they're, they're not... I totally they're, they're track not, what you're saying. Like they're, 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 I mean, they're, they're not, they're, they're not the there. They take, they take other teams off their games, you know, exactly. they, 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 they spoil business, you know, business plans of other teams. In some sense, they remind me of Austin. It definitely. Um, and, and, and honestly, I was, I'm going, I was going to say this during the, uh, the Houston Austin preview. Um, they, 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 they both have a lot of similarities in terms of that. They have a lot, a lot of these pieces who aren't exactly, you know, flary pop stars like you know, like an Adam Ashley uh, Cooper, Gito, or something, or something like that for LA. However, they've been when when they're performing in a in a cohesive manner, when they're on the same page and in sync, they're a very difficult team to face. Is particularly when you're inside their 22 and there's no more of this deep ball, uh, you know, uh, free range wide playing rugby that you can play. You kind of have to focus more towards in the middle. They make you work, and they make they uh, they they make you uh, force mistakes on on yourself, and that happened a lot in this game against Toronto. Toronto had a plenty of chances inside the New England twenty-two, but it was a ton of mistakes in the breakdown that just came as a result of the new of, of people from the New England Free Jacks, uh, like, particularly Quentin Newcomer, who was an animal in the breakdown, just making people frustrated and not and and uh, and forcing people off their game a lot in the way uh, kind of like how Atlanta was able to beat LA. Um, you know, you, you you make it not business as usual. You take uh, you take away that that fluidity in terms of their passing game, uh, and you you know, and I, I think Toronto relies a lot on that is in terms of getting the uh, the ball out to their wing and kind of performing in a quick, fast manner. Um, you know, a lot on the deep ball from uh, from the scrum half. But uh, New England, there, there's a lot of interruptions in terms of their offensive game. They they score a lot of their points off. The mistakes of their opponents, and they they're, where they're able to get a kick for territory, get the line out, get the mall, get a scrum inside of their opponent's territories. That's where a lot of their points come come from. If they're ever working out of their own territory, that's where they're kind of screwed right there. Because I don't think they exactly have the discipline to make it a full, you know, sixty or seventy meters in order to get pay dirt. And I think Toronto has a good enough defense where they forced a number of those mistakes, um, you know, and we saw um, a few instances in which New England was knocking on the try-line door in which they weren't able to capitalize because Toronto did the exact same thing that New England has done to uh, other opponents, and that frustrates them right there, at the, um, you know, right there at the try-line door and forcing their own mistakes. So New England displayed a lot of what has made them successful, but also plenty of what has uh, been their detriment this season, which is penalties, penalties, handling errors, and fricking penalties. I, I, I don't know that there was there was a lot of simple simple handling errors that I saw in this game from both sides. But New England, it's been very fricking frustrating throughout this season, and um, I I think this team just needs more time together. I think the lack of offseason definitely hurt a little bit. Um, 
but I, I think the ceiling is sky high as long as a lot of this roster is retained. But at, at this point in the season, I'm not exactly seeing the, the clinching of a two or one seed for this New England team. I look at New England and it's like sort of, I mean, in the conditions that they played in, I didn't really sort of like the attack. I think like when it's dry, when it's dry, mm-hmm. um, you see some things out of Harrison Boyle where you're just like, man, the kid is good. And in the same game, he'll, he'll show you some things that you don't like, but he'll yeah. show you a lot of things that you do like. But one of the things that's concerning me is like, I mean, people have highlighted he's USA eligible, but I haven't seen him kick sticks once. And that's a big, I'm like, no, I mean, but at the same time, like when you've seen pe- people like Bodine Waka and John Poland perform, uh, Bodine Waka, uh, uh, stroke no, no, is gone. The stroke is gone. The stroke listen, is I, gone. It's gone. I don't, I don't know gone. what's going it's, on with that. Oh. Here's the thing. I have not. Actually, seen, he made three from three penalties, which um, given exactly. his performance, so I, I have not, not in the ring. And when it was dry, he was kicking really poorly. Poland's kicks, Ayo was surprised he kicked that day, um, weren't that bad. But I'm saying I'm not talking about for the free jacks. I'm talking about as an Eagles prospect, he needs to kick sticks and he needs to be able to show that all over the pitch. And we haven't seen him kick once. That's my question. I don't see him creating uh, offensive opportunities, really. Maybe every once in a while, but I, I think that the free jack attack, you don't, you know, what you do not see is the free jacks get the ball on their own 22 and they just march down the field and score a try. They, they don't do that. They, they score in transition if they've caused a turnover or you know, something like that. Uh, you know, right now, I'm not seeing New England go down to work and generate scoring opportunities. Yeah. Using they, their uh, exactly. it, it, it's the lack of discipline in the breakdown. And, and like I said before, you're never going to see them work out of, or very rarely you're going to see them work out of their own territory and get points out of it, unless it's a penalty conversion of some sort, if you look because at, they don't have that consistency on the attack in which they're able to go 60, 70 meters without a penalty or without some sort of uh, handling error. And we were mentioning Bodie Waka earlier. He was one of the best players, like, like or looking like one of the best players in MLR last season. This season, he's been a, a near liability in terms of the handling errors that he made, that he's made, in terms of a few of the mental mistakes that he's made. The dude's an awesome-ass athlete, and when he's on, he's on. But at the same time, I think he takes a few of these high-risk uh, high maneuvers every now and again that just don't pay off, that he doesn't exactly – uh, you know, like kind of come come to fruition on, and I think yeah. kind of kind of like Billy in the lineup, dude. Great athlete, you know, hell of a tackler, hell of a ball runner, but does detriment in terms of his throwing ability in the lineup. Yeah. So you keep Why running. don't they put him at flanker? Why I don't is, know. Really I don't know. Using him as a reserve hooker. Well. The reason why he's – well, he played flanker in this game. The reason why he's playing hooker they is want because – They wanted to be a one day, so – Yeah, the reason why he's playing hooker is because the the national team coaching staff said, hey, um, we want we love your work rate. We love we love what you bring to the table, but um, we think you project as a hooker because he's like as a, as a flanker. I mean, we have a lot of – undersized flankers like do you need more more guys as short as Hanko Hamishais or shorter um in in that regard I mean they want but, him but, because of it but, but that, like, that, Hanko, then I, like then that goes like hey why did they call in Andrew Guerra I, I don't know but the other part of this game was if you look at both teams scoring opportunities they were both limited and Toronto could have won this game 
with oh, yeah. the, with the oh, scoring yeah. with the scoring opportunities they had. I'm not talking about more opportunities. I'm talking about um a like not a chip shot, but an easy conversion from Will Kelly that dinged off the posts. And if you look at that angle, because he's like a right-footed kicker, it made no sense that it went wide. And then you had – it could have been tied, uh, the last conversion, and that also happened with a penalty. Uh, wait, no. Two penalties were like that for Kelly, um, the, the conversion he did make. The second conversion, which was missed by Taylor Adams, I was like – what the heck? And we really haven't seen a lot of Taylor Adams in the last couple of weeks. Will Kelly has played a lot of minutes, and that's more him because you know he's, uh, you know he's he's been he's been hurt, and I, I've liked what I've seen in some parts from Kelly, but in a lot of ways, like if I'm looking at the next Canadian ten, and for. Canada much more than the U S like we have a lot of proven tens in the camp, although they're a little bit older uh, with McGee and Hooley behind McGinty. Um, right now the Canadian 10 spot is wide open. And I don't think, I mean, Kelly has been called into the squad, but I don't think the the tens that have performed in MLR who have been called in the squad. You also have Povey have performed to a level to where you go. We have an answer. Hey, Aaron, I, I just want to say really quickly, I believe a Canadian 10 is called a loony, by the way. I, 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 just, want, I just want to clarify that. Oh, that's so bad. So the number five would be, would be, a, would be a toonie. So a loony. <laughs> well, the $2, well, the $2, the $2 coin is the toonie. So, you know, five, yeah, a loony. Yeah. We're going to, the, the, the loony, right? A loony. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was... You know, it was just a bad game, and I think what helps is uh, that crowd, especially you guys had a near-capacity crowd. I think the next home game, uh, which is this weekend, um, you will have a capacity crowd. People are coming out, um, and we'll talk about that sort of at the end of the show because we have a we have a respect the kicker question that's been sent in after an incident. Um, but, um, yeah, it was – uh, you, know, you know, it was it was tough conditions and it was a tough game. So, moving on to um, the beatdown that was. Um, oh, I am glad I ended up switching my pick because I did horribly um, this weekend, um, and I and I needed San Diego to win based on um, picking Toronto. Um, but uh, yeah, getting into this, it's. It's interesting what a what a healthy, very experienced ten can do um, more against teams that are disorganized and teams that are just not ready. And what you saw here, and the addition of Patty Ryan, I don't think Patty Ryan has come back. He, that, that that wasn't his best MLR game. Um, he did okay in the scrum. His work rate was kind of low, but what Patty Ryan brought in this game was just leadership and being able to keep people settled down. And that's what a lot of um, the older foreign players bring. And even the older American players is just the experience and being able to keep the younger guys settled. And, you know, the entire front row, even Dean near by comparison to Patty Ryan for, for San Diego is young. Like they're some of the youngest props and youngest front rowers in the league. 
It's just, um, it's just kind of funny that you say like he settles them down because I feel like up up to this you know up till this year, Patty Ryan was a little bit more of the hot headed. Uh, oh, he's still hot. I mean, he's still he, he's still hot, but 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 he ha- but he has like, that maturity to him that that you know like of course you the Irish accent um, probably calmed but, you down real quick. But you got that, and then you both the teams' lineups were just were nasty. I mean, and this is where and nasty and like not a good way, and this is where. Craig's like, can you somehow tell someone to change it to the lineout percentage? Because the percentage that if you go by lineouts one, just in the stats that are provided, right? It was, um, you know, uh, nine versus fourteen, but both were in like the seventies, seventy percentage mark for for lineout percentage one. Like it was, they're both like San Diego's lineout used to be pretty deadly. It's not. Um, the Houston lineout used to be pretty deadly. It's not. They're both really bad. Uh, one of the things that really changed this, I mean, I thought like Sam Windsor is continues to be the the only thing that's happening for for Houston. I, what else is new? I thought uh, uh, dude, Povey, Povey's awesome, dude. I love Nick watching Boyer. Him, Nick Boyer has, changed, Boyer has changed their attack a lot, but still. I'm not going to say losing is a habit per se, but there's still like, there are a lot of good players. Uh, Veramu, Dickie, Dickie, Lottie definitely played well in spurts, but one of the things that didn't help them was security at the breakdown. Um, and they just couldn't play well under the high ball um, because they would get pinned really quick. And the kick chase for San Diego was pretty good. It's not like San Diego's attack was very good. Um, but they got the ball in the red part of the field and were able to convert. Um, and, and that's what an experienced 10 does with, if you can marshal and get that back line affected correctly, you know, Joe Peterson, I think many of us thought, you know, maybe sort of getting on an age and then I don't think they're in the playoffs, but I think they have a shot to be third um, and definitely, definitely fourth. Um, in this conference, like San Diego and Houston, or Seattle and Houston are so far away that they're just dead. Um, whereas San Diego, um, they can make a respectable end of the season. Yeah, they can make a respectable end of the season and make it just difficult for Austin. Make it difficult for for Utah too. I think they stop one of the one of those two. They contribute to stopping one of them into uh, the into the playoffs. Um, and, you know, they won't look as bad as they did look. They they looked poorly coached at the beginning of the season. They looked poorly, not well organized at the beginning of the season. Um, and the, I would say the ship has been righted with some of the experience that has come in. Um, and, yeah, um, I thought just I don't know what's going on with Houston. It's It's like the same thing all over again. Um, I, I, I like they have a good. They have a good coaching staff. Like you know, Paul Healy is a good coach. Um, Campbell Johnstone, former All Black, is the forwards coach. Paul Emmerich is the backs coach. They have you know the former Crusaders strength coach Ashley Jones. Like 
I just don't know what's going on. Hey, here, Aaron, but... um, quick trivia question. Who has the highest winning percentage uh, as the Houston Sabercats head coach? Um, It's it's the Emmerich coach, Paul Emmerich. Yeah. Paul Emmerich, baby. Right, there you go. That's, that's my all you my, my former know, roommate. But... Shout out to the shout out to the, the Golden Eagle. He was the top bunk back in the day there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's – yeah, it's it's a rough one. I, I couldn't really – tell you what's going on there. Um, but I didn't really think either attack was like, well, San Diego's attack. I really didn't think it was good. Their defense, the real thing that's going on with them is they have gotten a little healthy, even though that roster doesn't look like it's healthy on paper because they're missing. They like lost dudes for, you know, the year, like Augsburger's out for the year. Um, well, Ethan McVay has played very well at nine. Like I know he wasn't called into, um, this year's roster, but, um, you know, he might, if he plays well, he could get a shout for November, uh, for end of year internationals, um, just to get some experience, just to go into the squad and train, or maybe even Canadian, you know, even qualifiers. I, I don't know, but moving on, um, Craig, Austin 24, Utah 45. This was, this was, I mean, the score, doesn't doesn't the score flatters the score flatters Austin I think yeah I kind of think it does too actually and they were shut out the whole first half if I recall it was twenty five nothing and half I mean look this was a critical match in the Western playoff race these two teams so far San Diego's creeping in a bit but you know it's been for the first half of the season a two team race for that second playoff spot. Uh, and used to already beat Austin earlier this year, but you know neither team was really in their midseason form at that time. Austin's been playing a lot better. Utah's kind of uh, sporadic. Sometimes they play great. Sometimes they play awful. Um, but you know it tends to be more more great at home. This this was uh, in Utah at altitude. Austin really just never could get in the game. I mean Utah, I think had a few good breaks. Early on, you know, the ball bounced their way a few times. But, I mean, the thing with Austin, you can see as the season goes on with their lack of ability to attack, once they get behind, I mean, it's like game over. They're crushed. They just – they don't have a way to – They're front foot team completely. They've got to be. Not even even like a middle foot team. They can't play off the back foot. They have to be like up 10 points. Yeah, and they they can't like – they can't – put in a stretch where they score three tries in 10 minutes. I mean, they, they, just, they don't seem to have that in them. It's a team I, that I, re- requires momentum. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like a mental aspect of the game where like, you know, like some of these teams just can't play from behind because they start to get discouraged. They start to get a little bit, you know, de- demotivated. Whereas, you know, the scoreboards in their favor or, or, or if it's, you know, looking at least, you know, particularly close, that's when the wheels start turning. But I, I feel like, you know, Austin's one of those teams that, you know, gets a little dejected pretty quickly. Yeah, and as as Scott on the chat is pointing out, they also start weird rosters. Like they seem to change who their choice players are. I don't understand why DeHaas is starting at nine. Yeah, well, DeHaas for I mean, I I guess I, mean, I understand why he might be because he's probably. I mean, I think or, I think Ruben. I know actor, why. Though, like. I think I know why. I just know that. Um, he has been very slow at the ruck. Yeah, he's not um, with it with his service getting to the ruck, and then they get a spark from Cali. But by the time Cali is put on the pitch, it's over. Yeah, 
But right now, with you know, they, they didn't start either McIntosh or Patty Ryan, who I think are both their better props. Uh, they're both on the bench. They're obviously available. Uh, now, Mooneyham was not available, and I think he's really their biggest offensive spark. Without that, you know, Utah got a few tries, and especially towards the end of the half, you can see the, the altitude. I mean, the Austin team, which is a defensive, you know, structure team, they weren't even getting back in, into the defensive line. I mean, they were, like, trotting as Utah was cutting them apart. Uh, so, you know, it just – it certainly wasn't Austin's night. Utah played well, got ahead, and then, you know, I thought went a little bit uh, into party mode as they as they finished him off. And, yeah, Austin scored a little bit at the end, and, and maybe the score was flattering to Austin because, uh, you know, the game was over within the first 20 minutes. Um, Mikey Tao. Um, an, an interesting thing. I talked to Mikey Tao yesterday as part of my role as producer of MLR Kickoff. Yes, name drop, whatever. Um, and he was talking about his partnership with Mika Cruze. And he said that he hasn't had to say anything to him. Like he, they have just clicked um, when it comes when it comes to directing him on the field, that when you talk about like his growth as a player, Mika has just matured, um, and he's just there. And it makes you wonder, obviously, why LA would give up someone like that could be a cornerstone of their roster um, going forward. Obviously, the foreign guys. I mean, even if the, the, the foreign the foreign guys, even if they're here multiple years, aren't going to be here five years. There be two, maybe three. Um, and Mika could be like their starting center um, for five to eight years, maybe longer if he's healthy, you know? like I'll, I'll tell you what, though. You know, who is the, it, it's not just, you know, Mikey Teo, obviously, huge, huge playmaker. He lost Seems one. Man down. <laughs> Seems to be involved in every big attack from Utah. Uh, Mika Cruze working great. In, seems to always be in support of Mikey Teo, but he, he's running the right lines. He's finding space. I'll tell you who gets mentioned a little bit, but I don't think enough is Michael Bosca in that same. Oh, dude, dude. I mean, if he's he, doing okay as a scrum app, but when those plays get into that open field, you know, support line play, he's always in there. Like he's always with Teo and Cruze. In a sequence to each other. Um, he's, he seems to always you know, have that instinct to get into that free flowing attack. And I think he's actually being a big contributor to the success of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things, and that's why Michael Basca has been called into the, well, I wouldn't say called, because uh, as I explained, only the people that are getting on the plane are technically being called because there is no camp. Um, but that's why he was named to the 40 man roster. Like, and you, you know, if you look at NOLA, um, there's a lot of criticism between um, having Damien Stevens versus uh, Holden Younger in the game. And I know that Basco, when it came to re-up, and one of the reasons why he got to Utah is, uh, I'm not going to say he wanted starter money, but I think he wanted starter minutes. Um, because in that, peri- in that period of games in, um, in that last season, no, because he was the starter at Utah last year, right? So um, 
in the period of games where he played because Holden Younger was injured, like they played very well with him on the pitch. So, and I know that he was really good in the community and he's really good in the community in Utah as well. That, you know, I think he was, yeah, he was the go gold, uh, the Nola Fanger man of the year. Um, in 2019. So really good guy and really good player. I, I think um, Hurst and Basket are different um, as, as scrum halves. I think they bring, I think um, Basket is a bit more mature, um, but it doesn't have the top. Was pointed for Canada, right? He's, yeah. He's, uh, he's been, he's on the 40 man um, for them. Um, and, but they bring different skill sets, which is, you know, if you're trying to get a spark, makes sense. But as far as ruck management, his vision, his you know vision as a receiver um, and ability to plug, I, I really like what Bass is doing for Utah this year. Um, and uh, you know, moving on to what was probably the highest or second highest quality game um, in the history of MLR. I, well, I don't know, maybe that's mm. a bit much, but definitely a top five game. Um, it's definitely the highest quality game I saw this year. Um, I thought probably the best game of rugby history. Yeah, so, something like that. Best game of rugby history in the United States ever. <laughs> uh, LA travels to Atlanta and gets physically beaten um, up twelve to seventeen. They did have a chance to win. Um, they were inside. They were at the five meter, and you just had this like ruck after ruck where. Uh, where Atlanta just held them. But um, so coming into this game, I think we all picked LA um, by oh, no shit. by <laughs> seven. I think we were all by seven or more, right? Like it would be close enough, but not like LA would still pull it out. Um, uh, and the biggest thing that happened in this game was uh, how did you, and we've only seen two teams. Well, no, we've seen three teams do this, but only two teams score more points. Um, the the team that did the other, the third team that did this um, couldn't score points. They scored a penalty, and that's it. Um, so, but I it was a little bit different than the first two games because I thought this was a better roster that that went than that went to New York. However, the the way this worked and how. Uh, the game plans were different. I think what New York really did well was slow down Goddard at the at the breakdown, and that and that just completely slowed their attack. Whereas this was a big time possession game. Not that New York didn't play the possession and territory game. This was a big time possession game with Carlsa leading um, the attack, and they would just give up the ball. Um, they they didn't care. Like they would cut through uh, the the LA defense, and they would get close and you know, maybe they'd give up the ball and the ball would be at the 22 for LA. And then they just play defense and they give up a lot of meters, but it was between the 22 and the halfway point. Like if you look at the actual territory versus possession rate, I think possession was in favor of LA. It was like 65, 35. It was when you look at the numbers on just how many meters they made and how much time they had the ball. Well, they the the way this the way Scott Scott Lawrence's defense is just organized. They're just so freaking fit. They're so fit. 
Um, and and that's the biggest thing is like, can you outlast? Can you be fit enough to play a physical brand of rugby that stops that attack going over the game line? You've done a uh, Craig. You previously wrote a good analysis of that. Um, LA attack, which is built off, you know, it's it, it's a it's a high octane multi pod system, which had which is built off offload chains. All they do is just, you know, you'll have a pod of three, and then right behind it, you'll have a pod of two. They'll offload within that pod of three, like contact, boom, 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 and you know, try or contact, boom, 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 then pass out to that next pod, and then contact, boom, and then try. You know, they haven't really had to string together any type of attack for longer than, you know, eight phases max, maybe, maybe one try. I think they, they spent over 10 phases um, and, you know, they've done a lot of tries. A lot of their offensives come off the lineup um, for as many games as their lineup hasn't looked the best. I think Den Hout is probably, you know, still one of the best lineout options in the league, except <laughs> except in that game against uh, Atlanta, like Johan Momsen is uh, when it comes to a feared lineout master, um, he had was six of his own lineout takes and three lineout steals. Like he just made Den Hote's life miserable and he just made like the lot. And then um, not Glenn Bryce, but Dave Dennis, his life miserable in the lineout as well. And, so when they would give up, to, they would give up meters, and the way they do this is their defense. Um, they have sort of a dual sweeper because they play this umbrella. They don't play a flat line. They don't play. They have blitz concepts in here, but they give you space. They give you space, and then they also play flat, so none of the hips are turned. So they can get a great launch point. And that's why, and, and that, that's one of the things that I saw going into this game in the preview was how many more dominant tackles uh, Atlanta had. I think they had like 30 more dominant tackles than LA. Had. And I was yeah. like, and I was like, huh. And I didn't pick Atlanta, but I should have, because I didn't really, I, I we would I would need, we need to get Larry some stats so we can do some analysis to figure out like where if you're he putting stands and all this you know you put where great defense is because I really think now that it's it's Atlanta is the best defense in the league. Um, they may not have the scoring um, numbers to where they've kept people low throughout the season like LA and Austin did early, but based on what they did, they shut this thing down. And they just were like, okay, you can run. We'll tackle. We'll tackle. We'll tackle. Double, we'll hit you up. We'll do double tackles and force the ball and just play this brand of rugby that is just so physical that when on Monday, when boys got off the plane, I saw on Instagram, they were just limping. Yeah, I mean, I would say this obviously was an incredible defensive performance, probably, probably the best we've seen this year uh, from anyone. I would say they took – so when New York beat LA, whatever it was, four weeks ago now, they they did an innovative approach, as you put it out, which was they essentially – every time they made a tackle, they just platformed right over – they popped right up and platformed over that ball carrier, and it slowed the ruck down, right? So LA could not do their high-speed thing, and, and they – yeah, they couldn't quite figure that out. And, they, and at that time, they weren't 
uh, physical clear out types. You know, they weren't coming in and knocking those guys out. It was hard for them to recycle the ball with that player in the way. Teams have been trying to replicate that. I think Atlanta now perfected it where they didn't so much worry about platforming and just slowing the breakdown. They just, their line speed and physicality was so high that, you know, there, there was no, you couldn't pull back if you were an LA player because the Atlanta defenders were already in the backfield further wide from you. And it was the, the tackles and the hits were so physical that they couldn't get a, a front football and like an attacking speed going. Uh, and it, made, it to, made them play reactionary rugby as opposed to like, you know, uh, like the like disciplined attacking rugby. Well, they just, I mean, the only, I mean, like, they were so far ahead because they had that, you know, six week camp together, mm. isolated on Hawaii. No, like no, no, I would say no women, but no significant others with them. It was just, it was just training camp like they do in the NFL. And, you know, so when they hit the ground running, they had this continuity um, in their systems. Whereas every team that was in, on the mainland, you know, had guys going to day jobs. Yeah. You know? And so now that they're a little banged up, but everyone else has had tw- now 12, will have had now 12 weeks together. Everyone's caught up. So the question is, can they die? I mean, I know that, you, you know, ha- has Darren Coleman shown everything? No. But the question is, can they stay fit enough to show everything in the playoffs. I, I think it's a bigger question than that. I, I'm not even sure. It, I mean, you say fit, I assume you mean like healthy fit. Yeah, that healthy means, fit. Like I, I think the question things is, don't break. Things is don't break. the is the recipe for beating LA out? I mean, look, LA's own two against the top two teams in the East. I mean, are they even the favorites to win the Shield right now? Since they lost to New York, and I think there was some exposure of a weakness there. So, you know, before that, they had. Six games, I think they scored over forty every week. Since then, they've never scored forty, and in fact, they scored under twenty three of the last four weeks. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, and, and let's well, the recipe forget, is the recipe. Is, Utah gave them issues. You yeah, know, the recipe like, is if you can play a physical, hard defense, and your fitness in a game can last eighty minutes. Yeah, you can be close, and your and your the the connectivity of your defense that you don't fall for the inside. Yeah, they run so many inside lines that takes real discipline, concentration, and not get beat there. You know, and once LA beats you one time for the line, obviously now it's chaos. They beat Atlanta a few times. They made some good covering tackles, but most of their big gains were something like that—a line break. Then they have several good plays. But well, they're yeah. I, I think they've been very good at option plays off a of pod. Like yeah. something that something that we didn't see in this league at that pace that often. You don't see it anywhere. I mean, I, you don't see them in the Premiership as good as they were doing it. They, it was so, the way they were doing it when they weren't getting disturbed at the rock and they weren't getting blown up in the tackles. It was as good as I've ever seen. I mean, it was so. But a lot of times, a lot of teams try to run it. They like go through the motions of running it, but you know, the first pile that runs through is kind of half speed. The defense sort of ignores them. I mean, these guys were selling every option, locking every defender up. It, it was a beautiful thing, but I wonder yeah. if it's over now. It's so. like n- now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like before LA in, in, in MLR, there was a lot of there was a lot of, uh, of instances of teams not contesting rucks because I feel like a lot of the outside passing play, um, you know, like, like a lot among the league wasn't that strong. 
So if you didn't contest the rucks, you had a greater chance of forcing a mistake, you know, uh, of, of from the offense as long as you guys were flat and ready. Whereas with LA, it's the complete opposite, you know, formula. You have to be more aggressive in these rucks. You have to disturb them at the breakdown. I think that's been carrying over for a lot of teams and their game plans, not just playing LA, but play, but playing one another. So I think we're seeing a lot more. Um, you know, like like phys- physical aspects of the games that we that we're not exactly used to seeing here. So, in the game. so they have their get right game next weekend. So they're obviously on a bye this week, and then they have what could be a tough game. I think like you have LA going down to Torero, um, which if if San Diego plays well this weekend, then you know maybe maybe it's maybe that's a gut check that they. That's a definitely a must win for them. But then they play Seattle, which is whatever. And then Nola, that, that could be an interesting game. Um, and then I think they run into you, they run into the Gilgronies who are gonna beat them up. They may win that, they'll probably win that game, but it'll be low scoring. Um, and then they're gonna run into a much improved Utah team to end the regular season. Um, not to say that Utah wasn't ready to go, just Utah's defense sucked in that game. Their attack was great and their attack also sucked it when it came to converting possession inside the five meter, but they're going to, they're going to face a different Utah team than the one they faced at so far. So Utah's a good example though, because Utah is a big physical team and they play physical defense, but they don't have not at least so far shown the, the discipline in defense to to do it, but also maintain your assignments, you know, pick up the shifts correctly, that sort of thing. So, you know, Utah will need to keep the physicality, but if they want to win this game at the end of the year, they got to also work on those, you know, assignment recognition stuff on defense. So final game. Um, I mean, a lot of said um, my opinion about um, New York um, in previous episodes and in our group chat, I think New York, uh, you know, this game, they started to show something, but I also think DC is definitely, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they showed that they were actually the bottom team in the league, you know? Well, I mean, without Jamison Fonon Schultz, that's a big loss for them and Mungo Mason. I mean, two two critical players, especially for the way they play. Um, yeah, def- definitely tough uh, for them without those guys. But you know, New York obviously played. Rocky, well. we're gonna get to it. We've got we've got a lot. Look at um, some rock justice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Cohen's off the team. <laughs> he's he's in he's in Ruck Justice Prison, <laughs> but um yeah forty six New York uh ten DC I I mean without some key players they like any MLR team they kind of fall apart yeah and this is what you know at one point they had a two man advantage uh so I mean it, obviously good effort from New York I, you know I really like. I think New York needs Kara Pryor to be the eight man. They, they've had a lot of people at eight. I don't think anyone else though is generating the attacking chances that you want to see out of an eight. You know, they have a, they have decent depth at flanker, um, which is where sometimes Pryor plays. Uh, so I, I hope they stick with him at eight more. I think he does a lot for their attack. And I think this was probably his best game of the year overall. Um and Yells, of course, is the man from New York. It all really rests on his shoulders. Um, you know, he, he just he creates everything. I think all you know, New York had a lot of tries. I think you know, four, maybe four of the tries came from 
plays that he had somehow started, whether it was an offload or a line break or whatever, or chip, he had a little chip kick uh, to Foden for one try. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, overall good stuff from New York. Um, you know, DC, I, I still think, uh, you know, Tuzatala and Robertson are a great halfback pairing. Uh, I think Robertson played well uh, for DC, but just with, you know. I've seen it out of Tuzatala in the back half of the season so far. Yeah, he, he has been quiet. I agree. Um, you know, I think, I, I think teams have a little bit stepped up the interior defense. You know, that's a thing I think also comes with, you know, a little more time together after the pandemic, uh, you know, staying home and that like pillar a assignment stuff. Uh, I think they're doing that a, a little bit better now, especially with when Tuzatal is out there, but I agree. He, he's really kind of dropped off after a, a real hot start. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be a tough road for DC, obviously at this point, I, I, he's just so close. I, I would, I would be, uh, hesitant to rule anyone out completely uh but you know certainly uh law would have to go dc hey, if you can't of- score points when you are up 15 to 13 you are <laughs> not a good one. team they scored, okay. they, they scored one time uh hey i mean do we you need to see yeah, the problem like, we couldn't score but at the beginning won. of the season a yellow card against if you conceded a yellow against la that was three tries if you can't score at least 10 points when another, the other team has conceded two yellows inside of, you know, 90 seconds. Um, so where you have eight minutes where you're on 15 on 13, you are, you're struggling. At home here for a big crowd. Uh, yeah. So look, it was tough. Uh Tough for old glory that day. Good win for New York. First real like blowout win of the year for them. So um, fixing that, uh, fixing that try and point differential. Week by week, week by week. They're they're back to neutral. Uh, So uh, yeah, looking good going into a playoff stretch. They have a fairly easy schedule, though they do have international call-ups that are going to be messing with them a bit. So, um, you know, I I think they're going to be feeling good after this win. Uh, I'm feeling good about their shot at the playoffs, but definitely uh, you know, far from certain, especially if they lose you know, the core there between Fawcett, Savetta, and Brakely. Yeah, it's gonna be, that one's going to be very interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I thought both teams kind of played like played dirty. Um, I, I didn't really like some of what I was seeing out of Old Glory, and I definitely didn't like what I was seeing out of – uh, New York, and I think the reason, and there was some stuff on Twitter, and I have to say, I was behind the tweets um, out of the Earful of Dirt channel. Scott, if you want to know, um, not the um, biased Rooney fan that is Craig Rodelli, because I called him a biased fan in our group chat. Um, it, here's the thing. Like, so you had one punch thrown by whoever was what, was it Nakali? No, Nakali was playing six. Bonasso was the guy. Was the so guy in these fights for the most part? So Bonasso, if you if we get if we get real, Bonasso has been getting into it a lot. Like he got a yellow. What was it? Like three or four weeks ago for throwing a punch. Like I, I, I'm just saying. Like I didn't both, see him really punch this game. Though. He no, he didn't punch. He was it. It wasn't who was playing for. 
because the, the first punch came from an old glory player and then Corbs is like, uh, why is it there yellow here? And I was like, well, because if you watch the game, there was almost like a 10 on 10, a 10 person on 10 person fight immediately after that. There was retaliation. Yeah, look, I, I don't care that much that there wasn't a card. I, I'm going to let the boys play kind of guy, but um, I mean, only one person was throwing strikes to someone else's head that I saw. I don't think, and but here's the thing: like, if we're gonna talk about that one, um, yes, cynical yes. play by Ellis. If we're gonna, if we're gonna call every single, every single no. card, you totally. could have had. If they had given Ellis a card, I would have understood that. But I'm glad. I'm glad in both cases they did not give cards. Yeah. Uh, so. Then they gave a, a BS one to Pryor. I mean, that was not a yellow. That card. was. I mean, I understood the yellow. I understood it. But I was like, and they called no arms tackle as the penalty. I mean, he had one arm wrapped, and there was another person. It was, it was. I would say that was definitely a soft yellow. Um, I was like, I when I saw it in real time when it happened, and then they put the replay on, and I was like, yeah, there was head contact. Yeah, under high tackle safety framework, the 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 card is not even in the ref's hand. It's just that that wasn't called though. They didn't say like high tackle or shark dead the, the penalty that he was carded for was no arms tackle yeah the, the issue the reason that when you break it down the real issue why there would have been a yellow regardless is that there was contact with the head like yeah but it, it's also one of those things though like we, we see this in every sport is that when you watch it at high speed or when you watch it in the moment everything looks a lot worse especially when the crowd's going ooh at, at the same time but kind of like like what Aaron said, like when you watch the replay and it's sort of incidental contact with the head, it's a little bit, you know, easier to think through logically. Logically, but when you're the referee on the on the pitch and you have to make those you know decisions sort of you know like in time, it it's definitely it, it's a different conversation. Like like as opposed to when we're just discussing it on a podcast, and, you know, and ripping. Yeah, it. I, 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 play. I, it's I, I we're gonna have to get a card. I mean, the only the only game where I was like sort of pissed at a referee this year was when Mike Lash was being gambit because, because <laughs> if Mike Lash was the referee in this game, there would have been four dudes on the bench from both teams and we would have played 11s. And I would have loved that just for the simple fact that forwards like, would have actually <laughs> had to run, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So, oh uh, yeah. Um so moving on um to this week, Austin at Houston. What do you think, Liam? All right. So, Austin at Houston is the battle of the 77. Uh last time the, the these two teams met up, I believe it was a blowout shutout. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. It was a shutout, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a t- it was a total shutout. So we've already discussed both of these teams, um, you know, like prior on the pod right now. Austin, uh, and as I said earlier, Austin's one of those teams where they don't necessarily have a lot of flashy pieces. I would, I like, I mean, like other than like you know somebody like Connor Mooneyham being number one. If they get Mooneyham back though, oh, hmm. it, it, it's a it's a whole different story. However, I'm still going to be calling Austin to win regardless. But either way, um, not, uh, Austin doesn't have the flashy pieces, uh, but Houston kind of does. You know, they have people like Povey, they have people like Boyer and Sam Windsor and stuff like that. But they're not acting in a, as as a cohesive manner as Austin seems to be, where they're able to just to kind of stick it out late in games. Um, you know, and eke out victories. Houston's one of those teams where I've said, you know, where, where I've said already, once they kind of get down, they get a little bit dejected. You start seeing their pace of play start to slow. Uh, and, and eventually, you know, the 
Houston has been one of the worst teams uh, for, for me watching them this season in terms of uh, getting at the gain line, in terms of going over the gain line. And it seems like they move, they have a, a lot of these phases where there's a lot of passing back and forth, but they seem just to be inching backward every single time up until the point where they make a, make a mistake. The other team gets a penalty kick. They're able to get it into Houston territory and operate from there because Houston has not been great in the lineout. Their scum has been really good, but it hasn't exactly been competitive in terms of defending it. So the, the, their opponents are getting really clean uh, operating platforms out of the set piece, and that's where they operate inside of Houston territory and are, are able to take advantage of them because they're just not performing that well on defense. They're not they're not shut, they're not shutting down the, like the, the the passing channels to the outside as well as a lot a lot of other teams are, and that's where you, you see a lot of these scores against Houston that they're going to the outside corner. Definitely making the the, uh, the conversion kick a little bit more difficult. But the thing is, though, they're allowing like three or four of those tries a game, uh, putting them in these deficits. And so, despite the fact that you do have a lot of a lot of these great pieces um, on on the Houston side, they're just like New England. They're not able to work out of their own territory. They're not able to exactly put up points unless they're put in the best possible position by their opponent and not by themselves. So. I think at this point, Austin has a lot more to play for. I think they're they're starting to get their momentum, whereas the guys on Houston might be, you know, planning their off-season vacations. So for this, selling I'm, selling grills, I need to yeah, get one of those. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, so for for me, I'm going to go Austin minus ten on this contest. I mean, I I think both of these offenses can be very bad, and mm, I think oh, oh no shit. I think this could be a 6-3 th- game. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Probably, let's go 14. Oh, he's putting four- the score on it. I think All it's, right. like, I, I don't know. I think it'd be like 14-10, Austin by four points. It's not, it's going to be one of the, it's, I hope it rains because this is, this game's already going to be ugly. So let's just, yeah. let's just make it uglier. Battle uh, of the seventy-seven, boy! Yeehaw! So yeah. Texas, so Texas Cup rematch. Uh, maybe, maybe the Houston boys will be able to get up for it. Um, you know, so, like get psyched up for it. So, but so Austin, Austin, Austin has something to play for, and Houston doesn't. So, so, which makes Houston dangerous, but also, you know. So if 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 Houston ekes out a win in this game, like uh, by some chance. And so, like that, basically means they, they split the matches matchups on the season. Would the Texas Cup go to the point differential, like the the winner in points? Would you say? No, I think they. I think they're just going home and home. Um, the issue is whenever Dallas Dallas still exists, right? So when Dallas comes into the league, the question was, do we just give it up based on whoever wins, or do you, is, does the defender the defense is at home? Yeah, yeah, I think it's just be whoever has the cup, they have it till they lose it to one of the other cup members, and then that person has it till they lose it. So, like, even if they split for the season, whoever has the second win would have the cup. That's how I mean. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, that's how, he, that's how the New York Rugby Club does the Village Cup with Village Lines. You know, whoever the, the last winner is has the cup. So, Craig, what do you think? Yeah, I, I you know, I think, I think Austin's been playing a little bit of a rut lately. Um, you know, they, they seem to be moving in the right direction until they hit L.A., and then since then they've been going in the other direction. But I agree with what you guys are saying. I think they have still have a lot to play for. 
Houston is not as big a lift as these last few games they've had. So I, I do think they're going to pull it out. Uh, I'll say Austin, I'll split. I'll split you two. I'll say Austin by uh, six. All right. Uh, moving on to the next um, hashtag swag marketing game. Um, the other one is the, the other one was the Texas Cup for fan packages. Uh, the Atlanta Rugby ATL are offering three different fan packages. One is just, I think, tickets to the game plus some like refreshments. And then two of them are different hotel packages that include travel. Um, so I think for like, it's like 500 bucks, you get a certain level of ticket and a certain level of hotel room plus a bus, plus the bus ride. You get to go on the Ruta bus. And then the other hotel one is a lower level of hotel room and you go on the bus in the lower level of ticket that's in like an Atlanta sort of zone. Um, so that's cool. Uh, I don't really know what's going to go on for, for NOLA because they're well coached. Um, they're a team that like really plays for each other, but they've been banged up all season. They're on like their fifth fly half, basically. Um, don't really know. I, I really want Damien Stevens just to start, but I understand the whole spark system and pl- like platooning. So as long as, you know, like what we've seen is as long as Holden Younger keeps the, the forward pack rolling and they're still in the game, Damien Stevens can then direct that attack and they win, right? Um, even their last win, which they got a buy off of, you know, did – we expect them to win even inside that game. It was, it was a tough matchup just because they've been so banged up. I think the, the buy helps them out um, attack wise. I think they're settled now um, because the back line sort of settled guys are fit enough. Um, the forwards, I mean, that front row, I think has kept them in a lot of games. The fo- the one piece of, the puzzle for this team that has stayed healthy all year has been that front row. Um, Dino Waldron and Matt Harmon at prop have been playing out of their mind. I think as much as I love Eric Howard, he's a great guy. I'm all in on the Pat O'Toole train um, when it comes to throwing that bullet um, down the tunnel. Um, when Howard's been playing, he, he's been throwing him to one side and you get the whistle. Um, so, is Noah the only front row that has all three? Well, let's assume that Howard is the starter for a second. That has all three of their starting front rowers and in international squads, current international squads. Yeah, I would. I I think so. Um, that were called up for a nat- for a national team this year. Yeah, it's um, pretty good. That's a pretty good. You know. Uh, you know, talking about yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, that's that, it's that's pretty it's pretty legit when you think about it. Like they have. Their 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 top front rowers have all been selected for the national team for at least in both forty man squads. That's that's a lot of high praise. Um, you got a high work rate player named Guerra who's probably going to match up pretty well with um, Matt Heaton um, and maybe Vili Hilu. I thought Vili Hilu against LA man, dude, dude looks like a man now. He is a big dude. And he's cut up, and I'm just like, where'd Vili Hilu come from? Because that doesn't look like Vili Hilu. <laughs> yeah. And uh but I 
don't know if the NOLA defense is going to be good enough. I don't think it'll be a huge high-scoring game. I think it'll probably be, you know, 20 – you made 20 to 15 um, in this game, I think. But I, I, I – at, at scrum half, what we've seen, the platoon system work for – uh, Atlanta a lot better, whether it has been Van Skulkvike, whether it has been Howes, whether it has been Rees, like it's not about fitness. Like literally Scott Lawrence can plug in another one at the half and there is no drop. In fact, maybe, you know, it ratchets, ratchets up their attack. I thought Rees played very well in the second half for Atlanta. You got to try off a sweet carry, off a sweet offload. Um, but at, at fly half, uh, major edge for Caruso over Gielman. I mean, Tim's Tim's a great young player. Um, I think he's finally settled into the right environment for him. But um, just the experience that Caruso brings and the talent that he has is different. He can like he can kick through and just do things. And he's got real speed if he's going to pull the ball under and play just front football. Um, and then we look at that defense. The question I have is um, the, the two teams that have kept L.A. Um, under 20 points. Um, before, no, no, no. Before Atlanta, both lost their second game after that. Um, that game beats you up, dude. Takes away some of that endurance. So New York lost to Austin, and then Austin played New um, LA on short rest, and then LA had a long weekend, and then played uh, Atlanta and lost. Will Atlanta? And this is more about the teams that won against LA. Will Atlanta be able to get up after that game? And I think Scott is the maestro of mindset, of physical conditioning. Yes, I'm just I just believe in what Scott does. I'm sorry. You can't be you can't be all he is in rugby and also run a team at Oracle at the same time and not just be a mutant. So, um yeah. So if he get if if that team is fit after that performance and they are psyched up for this game, I I'm going Atlanta by 5. Yeah. I heard pretty much everything you said there. I, the one thing I, I want to add, the other conversation. So this is believe it or not, Noah's last home game. Yep. Yeah. Um, and their and their home game before last was like they had four thousand people at and it was rocking. And they're six and one at home. Uh, their only loss is to Austin. So there is something to be said for you know going to Nola being very difficult. I think of anyone though who's going to go to Nola and play okay. I mean their their neighbor from Atlanta is probably the the least impacted by having to travel to NOLA of other teams in the MLR. And I just I just really like how Atlanta's playing right now. I, you mentioned Carl Say, though you're pronouncing it different. So I don't know. Maybe I'm he, pronouncing If you go listen to MLR kickoff, he explicitly told Dan Power how to say it. It's Carlsa. Carlsa. Okay. I don't uh, listen to any other MLR podcast. I'm just saying I got a I got a stunt for my my people. Carlsa. Um, I also I love uh since Carlsa has come into 10, Batista Escura moved to 12. I think he's playing so well at 12. Uh so I just I really like that combo. No one has really figured out how to stop that yet and you know a, a team with such a, a good attacking player. 
at 12. Yeah, and he doesn't have to be responsible. Like, he, yeah, when he was 10 earlier in the year, it, it had ups and downs, right? Because he would do risky plays. Like, sometimes it was it was not good rugby. He doesn't need to be the responsible distributor now. He's more of a playmaker. Uh, and I think it's they're, – they're not the team that was – reliant on their defense the way they were earlier in the year, they can attack now too. Uh, so I think uh, I'm missing uh, Atlanta by eight. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and split y'all guys. Uh, Cause I, I just feel like there's been a lot of instances in which people have doubted Nola and they've been able to battle back. I'm going to go Nola by three. I think they pull off the upsets. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I, I think that, their offense has enough high power capability enough and especially uh, with their forward packs like you know uh, guys like cam and stuff like that who can you know score within the ruckus within the traffic and stuff like that um you know definitely uh atlanta is a very aggressive team and i think nola's one of those teams that you know is uh is adept enough in terms of the passing game to get them to bite maybe open up those channels to the outside um and, and get some pay dirt off it so yeah i'm gonna go nola by three all right. All right. Um, Move into San Diego at Toronto. Craig. Yeah. Uh, two teams that really need to, I mean, at this point, a lot of games you could call must wins, but I mean, these are two teams that are trying to find their place in this season. Uh, and this is an important game for both. I mean, Toronto with their call-ups, uh, I mean, really cannot afford another loss, especially when they still have their full roster. Um, San Diego, though, in the hunt for a playoff spot, as we've discussed, um, this might end up being one of their, you know, you just do it based on record and place in the table. This is one of their easier matches remaining. So they also can't afford to lose. It's it's on the East Coast. I don't want to call it home since it's not in Canada, but it's in Atlanta. Uh, so, you know, cross-country trip for San Diego. Um, you know, I – I don't know. I, I'm not as much a believer in San Diego as some people are becoming. Uh, I think Joe Peterson is a stud. Uh, I think Patty Ryan can be a stud. Uh, still, I just, you know, they haven't had any, you know, they had the, the big win against Nola was, was really the, their like statement game uh, of the year. Um, but, you know, just one and they've had a lot that of that game. Like Nola lost that game. Yeah. I really think so. So I, I agree. I mean, there, there's not like you, you don't see anything out of San Diego that I think makes you really afraid to play them. They're not dominating the set piece. You know, they're Joe Peterson is playing well, but it's not like you know they're very great. vanilla team. Yeah, they are a very vanilla team. Uh, getting better, uh, but you know, I, I think I think ultimately. Toronto's a little higher caliber than a Houston, and uh, it's a cross-country trip for San Diego. I'm going to take Toronto. Uh, I'm going to take Toronto to stay alive in the season, uh, by, let's say by three. Uh, this is a hard one. Um, I, I think, you know, kind of like you said before, Craig, every every East Coast team right now, every game is must-win because of, you know, how wide open uh, like those first two seeds are right now. Or I don't want to say wide open, but realistic. Everybody has a realistic shot at the playoffs within the East right now, um, at least mathematically. So I think Toronto has a little bit more to play for, and I just haven't seen the the game-to-game consistency from San Diego that you really wish that they would have, especially considering their success in the first two seasons. 
So uh, I'm going to go Toronto minus seven. So I don't know. I think this is a roster decision. I want, like, my heart wants to go Toronto. Uh, obviously, we all change our picks except for Josh, who, like, locks his picks in on a Tuesday. Um, uh-huh. I kind of think San Diego can do this, but it, it, it really depends on what um, what Toronto put out. If Tukele starts at 15. If um, Taylor Adams starts at 10 and Rumble is fit and able to play because he got banged up in that, in that last game against New England and he's been nursing some injuries. If, if they put their best in their best front row, they haven't really put their best front row out in a bit. If their best front row is able to start, um, then Toronto should, should have this. They should have this. And it's going to be humid, um, even though it's going to be an early game. It's still going to be humid, which is going to be which is different from the dryness that Chola Vista is. the The track is still going to be fast. Um, I'll say, and this is a close one: San Diego by one right now. And if Toronto puts out the roster that they're capable of putting out, I would say Toronto by four. That's a flip flop. I understand. Check Subaru on Saturday to find out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to DC at New New England. Man. DC at New England. So the last time we saw these two teams match up, DC came away with the victory. I believe it was by like like eighteen points, so, so, somewhere yeah, it, around it there. It wasn't close. Yeah, no, sure. it, it it definitely wasn't close, and I think uh, DC got one of those second half uh, kind of momentum swings and they really put New England on their back foot and New England wasn't exactly able to get their any kind of their own momentum, especially in the second half against DC. Um, you know, obviously, you know, different week, different game. Uh, both, both these teams right now, DC is looking up more from the bottom than New England is at the, at this point. But I think DC has a little bit more uh, offensive consistency in terms of how they move the ball, particularly out of their own territory and uh, when they're in the shallow depths uh, of their opponent's territory. Um, I, I've, I've said this a million times before. I, I feel like a lot of New England's you know, scoring comes off, of, uh, comes off their opponent's mistakes, and only when those mistakes put them you know, in, in prime position of enemy territory. Uh, DC is, is one of those teams that I think has the aggression, um, particularly at the breakdown um, and in the set piece, to... To, to, to put new to put New England off kilter because I feel like New England is one of these teams that if they're not operating like within their game plan, um, you know, getting the ball out to people uh, like like Boyle, like like people like Dougie Fife, uh, people like Bodine Walker and stuff like that. Um, if you take those playmakers out of the game um, and, and force them to operate just you know with, with the guys in their forward pack, that's when they start to become really inefficient. They start missing that game line. Uh, however, if DC can get uh, can, can be forced to overcommit a, a little bit more uh, defensively, get, get them into the, mid, into the middle of the field. You, New England can start utilizing the, the aforementioned explosive back that they have. There's definitely a chance. So, oh, fuck. Um, I'm sorry for the language. Um, but it's it, it, it's going to be a close one, and I, th- I think if New England is motivated enough, it's definitely uh, a possibility. I think DC's had a lot of physical matchups the last, since the last time that they met. So... I'm just gonna. I'm gonna be hopeful in this one. I'm gonna go New England minus three. It's, uh, oh, 
Uh, especially after the game that New England gave us last week, I'm not like confident that they can do a lot, but I think they can win. The issue you run into with DC is like they've, I mean, what was it? So Jamison Fiona Schultz is gone for two more games. So you don't have him. Um, and then you have, um, Mungo Mason. If Mungo Mason is fit, I think he's a huge uh, impact on uh, on this game. Um, also, if they have their like their first choice front row, they didn't have it last week. Jamie Deaver was a late scratch, and Jack Escaro started, and then Max Lum was scratched, and so you had three different. You had one front row who was going to be on the bench, and then you had to activate Jack Carroll and James King to go onto the bench because of those changes. So they the weren't was wearing 10. It was chaos. Okay. So like, you know, late in the season, we all know how much kit costs. Even when you have a sponsorship, you still like at a certain point, you run out of all the free stuff and you end up with all the stuff that you had to buy and you end up with things that don't fit. <laughs> and I, I, I remember seeing this. It was late because if it was, um, I, I, I spoke with Trey Preston weeks and weeks ago. Shout out to Trey Preston, um, one of the MVPs of the league. Um, he is he's, the, he's he's moving on, m- m- moving careers, moving the family down to Southern Texas. Uh, going Trey. to Port Port Aranza, but he, I asked. It was early because it was when they submitted their roster. Um, I asked him, hey, can you go like to a vendor and get the screen printed rather than like literally the day before <laughs> for a game? And I was just like, eh, you know. But yeah, the, things weren't fitting right. It's not the first time there's been a fashion choice. If you've noticed um, San Diego's bench, you've had like David Tamalau wearing 23 at times. Different things like that. It's kind of weird, but it is what it is. Um, But yeah, this one, I think they need Mungo Mason. They need their starting front row. uh, And they need Tusitala to be Tusitala. And they just need a really good game out of everyone. But then they're going into probably what is one of the, you know, hardest places to play right now. Um, in so, uh, if a, if DC puts out their best roster, it could be interesting, but I think it's not gonna be a good game. And I think the, the free jacks win by five points minus five. So, I think free jacks are playing better right now, and they're home, obviously. So, that's a big advantage. But I'm gonna tell you why I'm gonna pick DC. Uh, which all right, is, all right, all right, all right. We, we mentioned this before. Uh, how I, I think New England struggles to mount, uh, you know, long attack drives and, and score from them. And I think when you have two very proficient kickers in Kusatala and Robertson, I just, I, I'm as I think about how this game plays out, I just see a Robertson versus Boyle battle of of kicking to try to not have possession, right? Because both teams want the ball. They don't care who, you know, they just don't want to be the ones to make the mistake, right? They want the other guys to have it. Uh, but I just think Robertson may probably has the edge there. 
So I'm just I'm picturing a game where uh, DC just buries the ball deep in New England territory nonstop, and New England can't find a way to score. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna say uh, Old Glory by three. All right, all right. Um, Final game: Utah at Seattle. Uh, Rain City. I'm sorry, Rocky. I don't think it's going to be close. Um, and there's not much to break down here. I don't think that the back line, the back line for Seattle is really messed up um, right now. If Akihi Ito Yamada plays, though, I think he should be available this game. It could be very interesting, but I just don't. I don't see him being able to keep up with the with them boys from from Utah and. Uh, they owe you one. So I think they're going to win by like 15. Sorry. You know, I, I don't think it'll be that big of a, a margin. I am going to pick Utah, but, you know, another, again, I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over again tonight, but I, I feel like Utah is always a hot or cold team. You know, sometimes they're magical. Sometimes they just drop every ball, can't execute. Uh, this is not a right. This is in Seattle. If I, I just don't, yeah, this is in Seattle. So they're not going to be in the friendly confines this time. Starfire is not a friendly place to play for visiting teams. Um, I think there's a decent chance that you see more of the uh, fail to execute Utah this week uh, than we've been seeing. That said, again, they're in a playoff hunt. I think ultimately their dis- their focus will be sufficient to win the game. You know, I, I don't think they're going to lose. Uh, but I, I do see it being a little closer than uh, than Aaron predicts. I'm, I'm going to say Utah by five. So um, I don't think we're going to see the same sort of late season surge from Seattle that we're sort of half expecting to see from San Diego. Uh, but like Craig said, I think that this squad is improving um, in a number of different areas, particularly defensively. Uh, but Utah is just too high-powered in terms of when they're hot on offense. So I'm going to go uh, Utah minus 12. All right, um, that uh, wraps up the preview portion. We did get some questions this week. I'll flip over to the questiones. So um, just so we know what's going on. Everybody asks us about rugby. Nobody ever asks us about ourselves. <laughs> oh, my. You know, it, it was uh, from Taft Rugby. Uh, how is attendance compared to what they are allowed in the stadiums? What's the plan for the draft? the late season could be to bring i mean if we go based on what happened early uh in the in the season when capacity restrictions were in place everywhere attendance is banging yeah seems great right i think i i don't know what chat this was in when i said this maybe it was our channel but i feel like um is, is COVID going to be actually what makes rugby in the USA take off? Because everyone's been cooped up for a year, can't go out. Now and all of a sudden pandemic is is waning and there's huge demands go to you know outdoor public social events, whatever. And MLR um, tickets are wicked cheap compared to the NFL and MLB. Affordable. But, it's, it's like the most social type of you know sporting event you could attend. Uh, and the, you know, the crowds seem to all be like at capacity, whatever they're allowing uh, at these stadiums. So, I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't have the official numbers. I don't know off the top of my head if that's actually true, but certainly it seems anecdotally like the crowds have been as big as they could possibly be. 
think outside of Seattle, which is the only team that has capacity restrictions right now, because um, I think when San Diego gets to Torero, they'll be on like some type of 75% capacity restriction, or it might be lifting. People in Seattle listening to science. Uh, you know, <laughs> Massachusetts went to 100%. So, well, dude, I mean, that's because Charlie Baker is tired of people protesting outside of his house. He lives in my hometown, <laughs> man. Uh, uh, pe- dude, you don't even understand. This is a whole Swamp Scott thing that's going to drive me nuts. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's the plan for the draft? Um, late season can bring in any late season players while international call ups. Um, yeah, uh, you just saw. Today, um, two late season additions. But like I said, based on the visa process, they weren't that late of an addition. They're just late announcements. Is that true though? Because I feel like every time we see an announcement of an international player, they don't play for like four more weeks. So is it that they actually waited till the visa was approved? So, so part of these um, is the isolation process that players have to go through. So. Um, like some team, like you, you have to have like four, five, like four negative tests or something. I don't know. I'm not going to comment on policy that I didn't like. I'm not really a party to, but I do know that um, players that have come in mid-season have had to isolate. Um, so once right, so we, we go to two San Diego signings, will they be selected for play within the next three weeks? I'm gonna say no. I mean, they don't seem to be turning. The, the, the flash to bang from signing announcement to see this person seems to be like four plus weeks, at least again, anecdotally. Um, not with, um, ter- not with Alatimu. I think he was like announced the week he, like he was here like a week before, although it was rumored that he was going to be playing for Seattle, um, before he was announced. So, whatever but Alatimu and like a few other players uh played within two weeks of announcement but yeah I think most of these guys they've had to wait or if you go with one one Manuel Aguizamon he had to get signed by a different team (laughs) to play (laughs) Uh, uh, but uh and uh you know he played only two games for New York (sighs) one game played like 10 minutes and I got hurt um, so, um, what's the plans for the draft? Uh, there will be a draft. Um, it should be opening up in the next week or two, um, for registration. It will be, uh, towards the end of August. Um, mm-hmm. as far as what it looks like, um, there, I don't deal with broadcasts. I just, you know, do things that they tell me to do. Um, so I'm not the most knowledgeable about the college talent pool, but I, I, I want to do some sort of pool where we, we say how many D2 players are going to go in the draft. Cause last year it was two. Um, so I, well, I, I know I, that I, I, I think a the, lot of lower division teams, the were number of the number of rounds is extended is going to be extended this year. Um, based on just the interest that there was last year, um, there ended up being over 500 registrations, although about 150 of those were guys who were just trying to get in when they had no business getting in because they weren't. Um, there, there, there was people who were like 40 submitting their. Yeah, it was their, it was their, wild. <laughs> I was like, do you think I'm not going to look at this? Do you think I'm not going to like look at your LinkedIn profile and it shows you haven't been in college for five years and you're my age. Like, Oh my gosh. Oh, don't worry, dude. I'll work out. <laughs> you know? Um, 
from John Fitzpatrick at John Fitz DC on Twitter. Um, who will captain the men's Eagles tests for July? Interesting. Yeah, I've been um, seeing this question make the rounds on social media. It, this, it, this it, it's going to be uh, that the beast Tendai is uh, is going to be coming back uh, for a surprise appearance with the Eagles. He's going to play for. He's going to play sevens in the middle of this, so he can get yeah. like. But the, the they're, just, they're just waiting on the visa. They're just waiting on the visa <laughs> as usual with him. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think who has captained this team that's in the squad right now yeah. under Gary Gold, and that's just Marcel Brocky. Yeah. So I would say odds on favorite since Lamborn, Lamborn's the other guy who has captained this team um, before under Gary Gold. Um, because the guy who captained this team the most under Gary Gold, obviously, was playing Scully, and he retired from international rugby. So I would say put your money on Brocky right now. Maybe Not AJ? Maybe I, I just can't pick a back. So I'm going to go with uh, – I think Cam Dolan. I think Cam Dolan, Dolan or Nick Savetta are, are two, uh, okay. two strong possibilities. Okay. Yeah, Hanko. those are those uh, are good. Uh, I, I say Hanko. Hanko. I, I, actually, I, I don't think that's. Like that I, that I don't think Hanko's really. like. Uh, I don't think Hanko's ready for that. I mean, Hanko. You know, Hanko's still like twenty four. Hanko's a great player, but yeah, I, 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 I thought we were the same age. I, I, I'm pretty sure he might be like twenty five or twenty six. Hanko. Because so, so I, I interviewed him a few years back. I felt like I remember like seeing the twenty four. August twenty sixth, nineteen ninety six. So. All right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think Marcel Brocky is odds on favorite. The two forwards that you put out there, good shouts, definitely think so. Um, and moving on to, um, from oh, water break, uh, a MLR francophone. Um, follower with a picture of Billy in black and white on his thing. Um, he says, uh, any news about a second Canadian team? Um, like, 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 like for Quebec or something like that? I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Heard nothing. Like I heard a bunch of stuff possibly about Chicago. Um, and that was in a bunch of media earlier on in the season. That's dried up. Um, for all we know, there will be a 14th team and we'll have even conferences next year. I don't know. I'm just trying to get to like, just get to Monday every week. Um, for, no, I'm trying to get to Tuesday every week now that I think about it. <laughs> Cause I just live, I, I'm just living. Dream, when, when you initially asked that question for some, because we were talking about the national team, for some reason, I was just like a, a second Canadian national team. Like what? <laughs> yeah, what? The Quebecers. Yeah. The Quebecers. Um, the Quebecois, the, the, the worst tippers in the entire freaking universe. I, uh, I, I, no, no, I will make wow. this damn Blake statement as a former wow. bartender and waiter in Vermont. Not Australians, not Australians. Well, at least Australians, you like to listen to them talk. All right. So from yeah. Stu Hardy at Hardman in Leetspeak, Speak, um, he puts the four um, behind the H um, on Twitter. Um, is the mascot opposing team driving onto the field on a motorcycle appropriate when the kicker is about to take a shot at goal? Not whatsoever. I mean, no. 
I had to, I don't even remember it happening live. I saw it the next day when Dan Power posted it on his uh, Instagram story. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, Wow, that's the first curse book I've had on this show in like two years. Wow, yeah, I, I, I already dropped one earlier, so um, but like, no, it's it's not appropriate. Um, a it's not against the laws per se, per se, it, it doesn't it's like not it's even a, the laws don't address the, the laws, yeah. So so, 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 so treat the mascot who did something really dumb, um, like the streaker down at uh in that in that orange like painted himself orange, ran out the field with a massive orange cowboy hat last year. Treat it like that, um, I think the one thing should Utah be fined? Um, no. I, I mean, think a harshly worded warning should suffice. Like, yeah, like knowing, like knowing the people behind the scenes. Like, I think it was the mascot, the human being inside of the mascot outfit. I think made. A yeah, he decision. he made this decision on his own. It wasn't there's, like there's a few hey, games by that thing. I thought it was a real. Oh, you thought, he thought it was a real panther. <laughs> that was a panther. <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, imagining like people like 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 Koa, like Rocky, like Woody, just like like all the people sitting in their apartments watching this podcast, still wearing the suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rocky, Rocky does. He he's literally. As you can tell, he's he's watching the show right now. Yeah, um, Rocky's but, a fun little character. Woody haunts my dreams. So yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, for the record, um, Utah has formally apologized to Austin about this. Um, it wasn't a thing that was ever set up. They had no idea it was going to happen and it did. And there were, they were just like their jaw dropped sort of in disgust in the same way that everyone else's did. Um, the only thing that would have made this fun, which I saw a bunch of players making um, comments on this on social media, because they thought it was ridiculous was if Mac Mason had literally um, kicked that thing and directly hit him in- into go <laughs> directly into the pineapple that is Koa's head and then grab the ball and reset up for his kick. And if, and he would have just told the ref be like, dude, kicking this again. Don't really care. Um, yeah. I mean, you would think if the ref had noticed that I didn't notice it a lot either. You think if the ref had noticed that they may have just re given him the kick like you do. If uh, a player runs out, you know, uh, before you start your motion or whatever, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't a close match. This didn't Im- impact the outcome. It was probably just a, an honest mistake by an overzealous mascot. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it. It was it was what it was, right? Um, uh, you know, um, was it? Did we get? There were some other comments um, on this. Just imagine if he missed the kick. Yeah, if he missed the kick, um, I would have gone and grabbed the ball from the Utah player who had picked it up, and I would have taken it back to the tee, and I would have lined up for again, and, uh, you know, good to go because it's just the way it is. Um, That's interference that goes beyond 
sportsmanship per se. So yeah, there's nothing in the law book that says that the mascot can't shoot the kicker with a squirt gun while he's kicking. You know what? I mean, <laughs> think of think how many laws exist in the world today just because somebody had to toe the line and like like it, well, know, like the rugby like, law book has 90 pages worth of laws. Like it's still in the 91st page. It was like 150 laws. pages, so they cut it in half, and it's still too big. Um, moving on to from Andrew M. Greetings, ADM, longtime fan of the show. Um, does NCR MLR partnership disadvantage anyone else in college rugby? NCR doesn't have the biggest schools, so is this more for athletes at small schools benefit? I mean, didn't read a press release on the MLR side, so I, I don't know anything. Um, based on reading the press release, it seems like it's more of a, plat- a platform partnership of putting select game NCR games onto the rugby network, which is great. Um, more college rugby that is televised in some type of format is important um, for both um, MLR team scouting players and just for popularity of the game. And it, adds content to the calendar. Um, as far as broadcast as a disadvantage, um, well, the CRAA, which is women's D1, D1A parts, it's it's all, this whole thing is kind of jumbled. They're tied into a broadcast contract with For the Fan, which is FTF Next and 11 Sports. So, um I'm sure if that expires and they wanted to go on TRN and have a partnership, it would, it would go similar. Um, MLR teams don't, aren't going to really prioritize NCR clubs more than any other club because, well, I mean, it's, we just want as much college rugby going on as possible. Yeah. I mean, obviously a partnership is good for, the partners or else they wouldn't do it, right? If it, if it wasn't beneficial in some way, they wouldn't exist. But I, I don't think it's prejudicial to other parties. You know, I think partnerships are probably available for other for others as well. And in the long run, I think the more access people get to rugby, the probably the better it is for all American rugby institutions, wherever they may be. Um, the final question from Rooney fans, which is um, the big guy at Scott Ferreira, unless um, someone else is behind the cloud, because um, I know I'm not the only person that tweets from the earful of dirt thing. So, um, yeah, how about them roosters? They're, I think, you know, maybe I can throw out a couple of their games at the beginning of the season and say this is more what New York can do, but we've also seen New York lose just a couple of weeks ago. So, but I do think that they are the odds on favorite for the number two spot out of the East. Yeah. According to Scary Larry, they're the odds on favorite for the number one spot out of the East. Yeah. Honestly, I don't I'm, know, I'm, man. I'm, I'm, I'm predicting New York to take the number one spot over Atlanta. Wow. Yeah. Oh, oh. We'll that's from a New Englander. So, oh, it, 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 it literally hurts to say. It, it, it burns, honestly. It's. I don't know. We'll see. And then that makes, you know, we got the two teams that beat LA vying for the chance to beat LA again. I don't know. Like, we'll see if, if it even comes to that, it might, some chips may fall where they may fall and we could have a, you know, um, so far we never had the best regular season team. 
win the shield. So yeah, that's that that is true. Um, in the two the two regular season teams, um, blew it in the final, and the t- and the team that the other t- the team that won stayed disciplined. They kept tat. They kept doing what needed to be done. Um, and they they won two shields just by playing heads up rugby. So there you go, Rocky. Congratulations on the legacy of championships. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think that's it tonight, guys. It's been a long show. See you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.